The pun's so mandelicious, we used it twice. This week, we'll be joined by former mayor Stephen Mandel. Are you wondering what's up with that secret plan to put basketball courts in the Coliseum? Well, so are we. We'll solve that mystery. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speak Municipally, episode 129, and we've got a good episode coming up. There's a special, special place when a politician reaches their finish line, when they don't plan to run for anything anymore. We're seeing that, I think, right now with Nenshi in Calgary. And, you know, who knows? We might be seeing it with the, is he still a boomer? If you're 70 plus, what generation does that put you in, Mac? I don't boomer is it a boomer I don't know if you're older than Troy times like five so (laughs) we'll get to all of that after the rapid fire segment the EE football team who despite having an entire year free with COVID canceling the season was unable to come up with a new name posted a significant loss for this year due to the lack of revenue from ticket sales concession and sponsorship the team posted a net operating loss of 7.1 million dollars Incoming board chair Ian Murray said of the deficit, quote, while we've suffered a pretty big loss this year, we take solace in the fact that it will not be nearly as big as the loss the Oilers will have this playoff season. A report going to city council this week cites a 500% increase in reports of disorder on Edmonton Transit. And according to Edmonton councillor Andrew Knack, that's a good thing. He said, quote, when you have data, then you can use your resources more effectively, end quote. While we appreciated the councillor's optimism, After doing some data collection of our own, we've discovered other things that have increased 500% in the past year. Binge eating ice cream, watching Netflix, and maskne. At press time, we were unable to either put down the spoon, nor were we able to pause before the next episode began, so we're unsure exactly what value the data is bringing us. In episode 73 of Speaking Municipally, we made an unfortunate joke in the rapid-fire section that alleged an Edmonton business would be opening up a new drive through store. We thought it was very funny, and we chuckled to ourselves. We would like to now unreservedly apologize. After this week, United Sport & Cycle launched a drive through store celebrating the Oilers' playoff run. It's all fun and games until someone follows your advice, and we are truly sorry for the part we played in this. If you or anyone you know has been harmed by a speaking municipally joke, we encourage you to reach out and seek help by email to mike.nickel at edmonton.ca. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this week, we want to tell you about something brand new. Would you like to buy products? Well, do we have an advertisement for you? This episode is brought to you by Natural Light Edmonton. Over the last year, staying home has become our new way of life, and we've all been doing our part to help keep others safe. Still, it's not hard to miss those special moments of connection with your loved ones. But what if we told you, you know, Mac, I'm reading this copy, and I can't do it. I'm not going to read an infomercial. But I will tell you that Natural Light Edmonton provides custom-designed luxury sunrooms, balcony enclosures, decks, patio covers, and all those sorts of background extravaganzas gives you that natural light in your backyard a place where you can truly live in the moment and plan for more moments to come so yeah i snuck in a little bit of that copy you can learn more about natural light edmonton and discover outdoor comfort at my-naturallight.com that's my-naturallight.com 
So our guest, as we mentioned off the top, is a pretty exciting guest, one who's not been around the podcast before, and he's the former mayor of Edmonton, former provincial health minister under Jim Prentice, was the Alberta party leader from 2018 to 2019. He's currently appointed to the board of Alberta Health Services. You know, there's not a lot of people that fit all of these qualifications. It's the undescribable Stephen Mandel. Welcome to the show, Stephen. <laughs> You're more than generous. <laughs> We're glad to have you with us. Uh, maybe first off, you can tell us, what have you been up to? Well, like most people trying to um, control myself under the COVID world, fortunately I've had both my shots and so has my wife, so we, we feel comfortable. And um, But like everybody else, you want to be careful and, uh, and make sure we abide by the rules uh, for the most part. I think I'll elaborate on Max's question a little bit more. And I think we're thinking more broadly than the past year because most people, when they our mayor for, you were mayor for seven years, I believe. Nine years. Nine years. Three terms. So you were mayor for nine years. When you're done being mayor, a lot of people think this is a retirement. You very pointedly did not retire after that and have been doing all sorts of other things. Are you still looking for the next thing? Are you calming down now? What, what's going on in your world? Well, now it's, it's really, uh, you know, doing some fundraising for different groups. There's a couple of groups that I'm uh, helping raise some money for Salvation Army as an example. Um, Chancellor of Concordia University. And as you indicated, I'm on the Health Service Board trying to keep busy, uh, active in the community, um, but not politically anymore. I'm, uh, you know, that the last run at the uh, provincial, um, provincial election, that was it. So now I'm kind of just enjoying being home with my family and and doing those things that are a bit of fun. So speaking of the keeping busy thing, you, you'd you been pretty silent after you had uh, stepped down as the Alberta party leader back in 2019. But then sort of out of nowhere, you showed up at a city council meeting and pitched a way to stop the Northlands Coliseum from being demolished. Mm -hmm. How did that come to be? What was that plan? Because gotta say that surprised us and a lot of other people. Well, what happened, you know, this stems back to when I was mayor and uh, we, we tried to negotiate with Northlands about coming up with some different ideas about what could happen at the Northlands site um, because there was an inevitability of a new arena. And um, but Northlands wouldn't hear of uh, any changes, any um, negotiations. And so um, I always felt that that was a, you know, a real lost opportunity to something special for that site, for that facility. And so when when it came up that uh, you know, a couple of years ago, the council was looking at working with, uh, I think, uh, Hockey Canada putting in some arenas. I was really excited about that because the building would be be put into use. But then it became, I think, too expensive an investment. And so when I heard they want to tear it down, I said, geez, we got to give it a shot. Of what can we do with this building? Because to tear it down, from what I was told, because I checked fairly closely with a variety of people, especially those who have some experience in, in these kind of things. It was a lot more money to tear it down than, than I think the public was led to believe. So I, I came forward and, and said, look, let's see what we can do to salvage this building. It's It's got great history. It's in a great location. What are they going to do? Tear it down and and put another, you know, uh, infill development? They've got so many of them right now. How many more does the city need? This would be much more advantageous for the community in the north end of the city. I think the public figures that have been shared so far is somewhere between 15 and 25 million to demolish the building. No, it's not closer to 50 million. Okay. Your proposal was about uh, sports, right? And you were working with the Alberta Basketball Association. And at the time, I think you told the media that you weren't ready to talk about the group. But can you tell us anything else about them now? 
Oh yeah, there's there was a, there was a group of there's Alberta basketball, um, volleyball, Alberta, and there was um, Athletics Canada, and we talked to a lot of other groups that were were interested in being involved. I mean, we even looked at what what could the opportunity of, uh, of putting a velodrome in, in the building. You know, really, I, I just wanted to participate with the opportunity to help create something in that building. And if it ended up city council decided to put something else in there, that's fine with me too. What can we use that building for rather than demolishing it? And that's really my main interest. I think sports would be a wonderful opportunity, the entire site building an indoor um, soccer field and indoor baseball facility um, would be of great benefit to the city. Um, you know, I'm a big sports, sports guy, so I think that would be good. But if they find something that's better, that's fine with me as well too. What if they go ahead and demolish it? Because I think that's where we're at, right? I think they've basically approved the exhibition lands plan and all signs point toward a demolition in the short term, right? Well, it doesn't really because I think it's, it's starting to come out to council. From what I've heard, it's starting to come out to council. It isn't a 15 to $20 million teardown. It's $50 million. And so what, what sense does it mean to tear it down when you can spend another 10 or 15 or 20 million bucks and put something in there that could be really beneficial to the community. And I think the community, if they had a choice, would much prefer to keep uh, the facility rather than see it tear down and, and make it an addition to the community rather than uh, just an empty parking lot, which is what it's going to end up being. That's not a great development site. I mean, I'm not an expert at development, but that sure is um, not one that has easy access. It's not one that uh, it's conducive to uh, to doing a whole bunch with. So I think that the use it has right now is what should be kept there. But it's up to council now. It's not up to me. I think that's true. The configuration of the site, the layout of the site has always been raised by the development industry as a problematic aspect of it. You know, aside from the positives that it's got near LRT and, uh, and all of those kinds of things, there are definitely some some challenges with it. Are you still actively working on this? No. No, I made my presentations. Um, um, I'm, I've, people call me to meet with them to talk about it, but I mean, it's really in council's hands. Um, they need to uh, meet with uh, the cage group to see what their position is in this, in this entire you know, package of what can be worked out. And, uh, and now it's in their hands. It's, uh, I said my piece. I brought forward I felt was important. And I'm hoping that uh, the council uh, believes in, in the opportunity and, and moves forward. If they don't, I don't think anything I'm going to say is going to make a difference. It'd be a shame to lose uh, a facility like that. And, you know, it, it's what's other side of that is there's about 13,000 tones or 18,000 tones of, of waste they're going to have to get rid of. Not a very environmentally sensitive way of doing things uh, when you consider tearing that building down and what to do, what to do with all the waste. So it makes nothing but sense to find a solution to keep the building. It's interesting that you mentioned talking to the Cates Group as something that city and the council need to do because... Some of the criticisms that have popped up is, well, you were on council and indeed the mayor when this arena deal was put on the table, when it was negotiated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Cates group and their non-compete clause with the Coliseum is one of the big nails in the coffin of this plan. How do you square that circle of, well, you did negotiate the arena deal. That includes such non-competes clause that would basically condemn this site to lack of sport use. No, um, I think you're not right in what you're you're saying. We didn't negotiate a non-compete clause. What we nego- what we eventually negotiated is they could be competitive, um, but that the um, uh, the Northlands wouldn't get any subsidy from the city of Edmonton in order to do that. Um, the change to the non-compete and all that stuff happened after I left being mayor. Interesting. Okay, and I think the case group had to approve any use, right? That's right. 
But that was negotiated after I left. That was a change in the agreement. I see. Okay. Uh, is this group the same group that just a few weeks ago is now looking at transforming the Expo Center into this sports excellence venue? Yeah, that's yeah, the same group. Just a great group of guys uh, and gals are really, really committed to doing this. Uh, and I think they're creating an opportunity, the Expo Center, which could be help uh, put it back into operation, create uh, some revenue for it, and as well as still leave it open to the opportunity for various uh, you know, events that they can have there. So I think it's the best of both worlds, but it's going to take a capital investment. I don't know how much they're, I think they were given, I think they were given some money to to look into it and then report back to council. So yeah, I think in the end of the day, if you look at it, if it's, uh, you know, I think it was 17 or $18 million, I don't remember exactly, but uh, I think it's well worth uh, investigating it. You know, council spends, I, I've been there so much money they spend on a variety of things that this could be far more beneficial to the community than some of the other things they spend money on. I want to switch gears a little bit um, and talk about some of the other big changes that you had made. Because when you were mayor, mm-hmm. that was, I would say, probably one of the tentpole decisions was the decision to close the city center airport. And you put the wheels in motion for mm-hmm. that. And, you know, we had big dreams as a city for uh, Blatchford. Um yep. How are your thoughts? You know, now that you're out of the chair, now that you've set the wheels in motion, how do you feel like it's going? <laughs> can I, I don't I don't know if I can be that honest. Uh, you definitely can be. <laughs> you know, um, I think that they could have done it a lot different. I, I think it's important what council's done, which is to uh, keep it a really environmentally dynamic facility. But it's also important to have a development that that's practical, that people can afford and make sense and can move along at a it, it's some speed of, of time rather than, rather than uh, that of a, of, a, of a, I don't know how slow one can be, but, um, and I think that developments have been way too slow. There was lots of opportunities they could have, could have taken, but um, they didn't. You know, it's easy for me to be critical. Um, if I was mayor, I would have done things. I'm not, not being critical of Don, okay. Just I would have done things differently because I have a, uh, you know, I just believe that they could have moved this project much quicker and it wouldn't be where it is today. We've talked a little bit about the contrasts between you and Don in the past. And, you know, many people call him your prodigal son, the continuation of Mandel's legacy. But you had very different styles of running the mayoral chair. Um, I think it's fair to say you worked more behind the scenes. But Don is very much to a fault. Everything has to be discussed in public. Do you think that that might slow down the current council in their decision-making process? I don't think we did anything more in private or in public than, than Don did. I, I think that, uh, you know, we tried to build consensus in a, in a way that moved things forward. I'm not sure what, what you're alluding to about that we, we did things in a way that was behind the, behind the scenes. I mean, all council decisions must be made in public. Um, everything we did was made in public. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, having negotiations, anything you you can't have every single moment in public. It's it's you know it's not a road show. So um, I think that you know Don's style is obviously different than mine. Uh, he's taller, better looking, and probably a better speaker. So uh, <laughs> you know, everybody has their own way of doing things. Uh, I was very close with all the counselors, which was I don't know I don't know what his relationship with his council. So I don't I'm not saying it's good or bad. Just saying that was one of the things that I prided myself on is to create that very strong relationship with council and work with them in the hope of, uh, of having fulfill their dreams of being a counselor, but also fulfilling some of the dreams that I had and hoping the city would have. You know, you segued it perfectly because a couple of the counselors you sat with do have pretty big dreams this year. Uh, both Kim Cruschel and Mike Nickel, who you worked with on your time at council, are running for mayor. Yeah. Um, you worked closely with them. You said you had a good relationship. 
What are your thoughts on their performance in the big chair? Um, you know, I, I made a point of, of staying out of the uh, the mayor's race, and I'm going to do the same thing now. Um, I have my own personal opinions, and uh, I, I think they could be left personal. I think I give credit to anybody that will run for political office. Um, they, uh, it takes a lot of courage to put yourself in front of the people and to be judged. And uh, um, and so um, any of the candidates, there's going to be, you know, a, a rumor is an amateur, so he's going to might run, uh, you know, um, uh, Michael Oshry, I think, announced yesterday. Um, there's some good candidates, and it's going to be up to the citizens of Edmonton to make a decision who they believe is uh, is going to be the best candidate. I happen to you know, think that Kim is a wonderful, wonderful individual. I worked with her and worked with her very closely. Um, she's a, a, a top-notch, crackerjack, incredibly bright individual. But, you know, I think that uh, she would do she would do a very nice job, just like some of the other ones would. Well, they, they want to take this job that is a lot of work. Uh, you know better than anyone, having done it for three terms. Is there anything you miss about being the mayor? Well, you know, people say it's a lot of work. I never found it very much work. I found a lot of fun. I mean, you get to meet people that you never would have thought you'd met before. You get to accomplish things you'd never thought you'd ever accomplished before. And and you uh, and you do it with a good group of people. I mean, it's, it's pretty tough to, tough to complain about something along those lines. Uh, I had nine great years. I had a wonderful staff, great council to work with, good administration. Uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. And, and I'd have stayed there forever, but I think time comes when you need to move on. Well, fun, but... I mean, it's not an easy job, right? There was probably a handful of moments at least where you found yourself thinking, why did I get myself into this? No? Oh, sure. Yeah, there's, but I mean, that's with any, anything you do, there's always moments which there's, you know, problems. I can tell you when, when we got the note or some Kate's that uh, uh, he wanted a whole bunch more money, that was a, wasn't a pleasant moment. Um, right. You know, um, when I got my life threatened because of the, of the municipal airport, that wasn't a pleasant moment. Um you know, there are things like that. There's, you know, tough decisions to make. Uh, you know, there was different arguments you'd have, you know, with arguments, with disagreements with counselors. And, you know, that doesn't, isn't fun. Yeah. But on the whole, you know, it, it's a, it's a great experience. Um, I think that it's, uh, it was really one of the really joys of, of my, you know, my professional life. Um, I, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly and uh, cannot say one, one bad thing about it. Uh, I had a, just a great time for those nine years. One of the discussions that's been coming up uh, in the past year, and especially with this election, is the idea of partisanship on city council. And you, Mm -hmm. I mean, are almost uniquely qualified to talk about this. You've been a councillor, a mayor, an MLA, a provincial minister. You've got sort of like fingers in all the pots. What are your thoughts on partisanship and party politics drifting down to the municipal level? I think it's abhorrent. I think it's sickening. I think it's irresponsible. I can't give you enough adjectives. What makes municipal government great is that we work together. There's no alignment uh, on uh, party lines. There's only alignment on getting things done. And sometimes you disagree on what should be done and what what should not be done. But I think bringing provincial politics or political parties into municipal government is just terrible. And I I can't say it uh, strong enough. you know, look at what happens provincially and federally. You know, they make they make decisions oftentimes which they might support, but they can't uh, support. They can't actually support it because the other party might have put it forward. They're always the loggerheads. You know, in city council, we we might disagree on issues, but we find common ground in so many things. So I think that's what makes municipal politics so great. Uh, you work together to find solutions. 
it doesn't matter what political stripe you have, um, you know, you can you can find solutions. And, and, I, and I think that's really would be a, would be lost. It'd be a shame. It'd be all the adjectives you can think of. If, if the province butts their nodes into municipal uh, elections, I hope the public uh, doesn't vote for one of their candidates. Do you have any read on the current situation? Do you think that's what's happening in this election with the changes? I've heard, that I've heard rumors, but I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I've stayed away from it. I've heard rumors, but I mean, even even the, the rumors are, are are just not productive. You know, as I say, the, the great thing about municipal government is we find ways to work things out to find solutions to build a better city for our citizens. Not ideological. Yeah. Sometimes, you, you know, you get up and it's really an issue. You can't fight over a, a bridge or a, you might disagree with an arena, how it's going to be done. But, you know, that's an issue. It's finished. It's done. It's done. So I, um, I think municipal government is really the way to go, but it's not going to happen in, uh, in, you know, in, in provincial and federal government. It's interesting you talk about the idea of we're just building things for our citizens and helping us get the best city we can. Because there's a quote, and Mac and I both remembered it, and it was shortly after you were elected mayor of Edmonton, you said on the architecture of Edmonton that you wanted, quote, no more crap. Yeah. <laughs> so since then, we've had buildings like Stantec Tower, Rogers Place, um, you mm -hmm. know, the beautiful award-winning bathrooms at yeah. Borden Park, and the Stanley A. Milner Downtown Library. What are your thoughts on our crap? <laughs> and I, you know, um, I think often architectures, you know, there, there's some beautiful stuff that's done. I think the, the, the arena, uh, uh, Rogers Place, is an absolutely gorgeous building. It's a gorgeous building. Other buildings, people might not like as much, but that doesn't mean that, they're, that the design and the character they tried to put into it does not have some sustainability. And I think that there's, uh, you know, um, Stantec Tower. I think I remember about two years ago driving downtown and I was coming from the west of downtown and all the lights were on in, in both those buildings they were being built. And um, it lit up the entire downtown. It was absolutely magnificent. And they're lovely buildings. I mean, you know, there's not a lot you can do with... Uh, you know, high-rise office buildings, but I think they've tried to make a, a really good-looking building that has architecture design to it, uh, has some lines to it. I'm not an architect, so I don't know, but I think that the city's come a long way over the years, whether it's the uh, Art, uh, Art Gallery of Alberta, whether it's the New Royal Alberta Museum. Our city is much better, and if you even have the opportunity to drive by the recreation centers that we've built, or even the um, Many of the other facilities that the city of Edmonton has been involved in, they're, they're high quality. They're quite, quite well designed, great lines to them. Uh, I'm proud that they're, they're part of uh, the history and the tradition of the city of Edmonton now. So no more crap. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And so much of that is because of, you know, things, the sort of foundation that was laid during your time as mayor. Uh, I mean, those towers wouldn't have been possible with a, a, an airport there still. Yeah, I hope so. But, you know, people have to remember that the time I was mayor, I mean, you know, it was it was a very interesting time. I mean, it, we came out of the, the turn of the century into the, you know, in 2000s and Alberta was booming. The federal government was opening their purse. Um, the city hadn't done anything for decades. And it was a time and a place where there was incredible opportunity to rebuild the city that had stayed that had been dormant for for 20, 30 years. We hadn't built recreation centers in 20, 25 years. There hadn't been an expansion of the LRT in decades. Um, you know, um, our roads were in horrible shape. Our neighborhoods wasn't, our neighborhoods weren't being attended to. On and on and on. And because of the, the economic environment and the, the change in attitude towards city, helping them financially, 
um, do things. And the desire of city council and the ability of city council to look at debt, we began to rebuild the city. And, you know, some people don't like it, um, but that's what we did. And, you know, each over a period of time, different things happen that allow you to do things while other circumstances, you, you know, like right now, things are tougher. You have to tighten your purse strings up a bit, which I think I'm proud of the city council doing that. But um, at the same time, uh, you know, you there's a, a time and a place that allows you to do things. And I was very lucky to have a great council, a wonderful administration, and work with a, a broad vision of what the city could be. Not just in architecture, but, you know, we, we developed REACH. We developed the, uh, the Africa Center. Um, you know, that we... the, the um, the Aboriginal Accord. I mean, there was a lot of things we did socially uh, that I think were, you know, were game changers for the city of Edmonton. We're still, which are still um, a big part of uh, uh, its uh, operations today. You you talked about some of the social programs that you were influential and a part of with your time on city council. And I think Mayor Iveson's term in terms of social program, I think it's fair to say is highlighted by End Poverty Edmonton and his attempts to end homelessness. And I think it's fair to say this is a very complex problem, a very difficult problem to solve. I know this is something that you probably will have tackled when you were mayor. From the outside looking in, it looks like we're spinning our wheels a lot. The province and the feds, they never seem to be coming to the table. We always seem to be complaining about the same issues over and over again. Not enough money, not enough provincial support, not enough federal support coming to the table for housing first. From someone who has been inside the system, are we really making the leaps and bounds that we're told we're making, but we don't really see? I, I can't really speak to, um, I know uh, how Don, how committed Don and the council has been to homelessness. It's a very, very complicated issue. And, um, you know, we developed a 10-year plan to end homelessness. And, uh, you know, it was going very well because there's a low-hanging fruit. Those that are just temporarily out in the street and they just need, a, you know, a hand up, a leg up in order to um, in order to, to get moving forward. But then you get those that are uh, chronically homeless and they're very difficult to deal with. It's, a, it's a, um, many of these people uh, probably should be um, dealt with in a, in a different way. But, you know, the, the cities don't have that capacity. So it's great to say that, you know, cities want to end homelessness and, and end poverty, but that's not our mandate. I mean, even though it's an important part of what we do, because we don't have the money to do it. We have a, we have a very uh, inflexible tax base. You know, it's property tax. And it, uh, every time you want to change something, you have to raise the taxes, unlike the province. If the economy grows and there are a variety of income sources, they can do a lot of things. So I, I think that it's unfortunately been left an awful lot to municipalities to deal with homelessness, um, but it really is an area that is way beyond our financial capacity. You know, when I was mayor and we had um, a Premier Stelmack and he was he was very committed to ending homelessness, so we were funded very well, so we could do a lot of things. You know, we built, um, we helped participate in the Melcor uh, Welcome Center. We built, you know, 12 or 1,300, 1,500, 2,000 units. Lots of stuff we did. But it, it's still, it's still the problem that exists. It's going to be existing for a long time. I'm not sure um, how, uh, without a major shift in how we do things, uh, can can homelessness be eliminated? So we're a municipal politics podcast. We don't want to get into provincial stuff, but I wanted to talk about your upgrade. We'll call it to the Alberta Party leadership. You. Won the Alberta Party leadership in 2018, I believe. Can you take us through some of your thinking and why you chose to do that? Because, you know, for a lot of us that have watched your career from 
the sidelines, it seemed weird. Just weird was the best way I think could describe it. It's like, why is this happening? Well, first, first of all, I, uh, I was a supporter of the Progressive Conservative Party, the PC Party, uh, and um, under Jim Prentice, and had a tremendous amount of respect for Jim and his, his way of looking at the world. And, um, you know, uh, when, when there was an effort to, and I'm not, this is not a comment on good or bad or indifferent, to eliminate the, and, and, and amalgamate the, the PCs and the Wild Rose, things called, uh, um, there, I didn't feel there was a place for me and or a place for an awful lot of people that I knew. Um, so I um, did not participate in in that uh, in that process for for leadership of of either the event the PCs and then eventually the unified party. But I wanted to find a home, and and I found a home in the Alberta Party. In itself was had its challenges and problems. I mean, you know, the Alberta Party has a a real need to understand who it is and where it's going and and how it's going to be successful. And that was some of the problems we faced. But that's a story for another day. So you know, I, I felt that. I couldn't stand back and not do anything. And so I got involved in the race and, you know, we, we did okay, not anywhere near what I'd hoped or what I aspired to, but things happen in politics. We got marginalized by a, uh, a very um, divided election, a divided electorate uh, who wanted to get rid of one or couldn't stand the other and, and they wouldn't listen to us. And I can't remember, the, can't say the number of doors I went to say, well, we would vote for you. You're the better party, you're the better candidates, but we want to get rid of the NDP or we don't like the UCP. Therefore, you know, we're going to um, not vote for you. So that's what ended up happening. We still got almost 10% of the vote. And in, in some countries, that would have given us seven or eight seats. But in our country, it doesn't. Is that a comment on your support for electoral reform? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that's not, no. <laughs> just just back to our, our municipal election that's coming up. You, mm-hmm. uh, you, you said you're not going to comment on or get involved in the mayoral race. Are you going to throw your support behind any candidates, council no. or school board? Well, or council, the council will help some, absolutely. You know, um, I helped a uh, big support of Sarah Hamilton the last election. I will again, this one, uh, Rhiannon Hoyle, a uh, wonderful, wonderful woman uh, running in the uh, Southwest. I don't know the names of the new, the numbers of the writings, the names of the writings, but E.P. Kokani, E.P. If you can pronounce <laughs> it, you're a better man than I am. That's for sure. So um, yeah, Rhiannon's wonderful. I'm, I want to help her. And uh, there's a couple other um, that I've talked to that, uh, you know, I know people don't remember who I am. You know, I mean, it's it's been um, it's been eight years. You know, political life is what did you do first yesterday? Not, uh, you know, what are you do first tomorrow? And I can't do anything for anybody tomorrow. So I want to talk a little bit about that support because you supported Sarah Hamilton in no. the last election. And I got to say, uh, in 2017, I wrote Sarah Hamilton off. In 2018, I continued to write Sarah Hamilton off. And then we saw her come into her own on council and she came on the podcast a couple of times. And by golly, she's won me over. Like she's done a very good job. I remember Mac and I, we openly mocked that. uh, What was it? The it was like an Avenue Edmonton feature. They had her on the front page saying Edmonton Rising Star. And we openly mocked it saying (laughs) buffoonery. And you know what? They, They won me over. So Let's extrapolate and assume that it's because of your very discerning eye for politicians. That <laughs> What are you looking for in a candidate? What makes a candidate great? And what should voters be looking for in their candidate in 2021? Balance. Balance view. Um, understand the importance of a, of a social agenda, but that uh, cities have to be run efficiently, effectively, and, and have a vision for where they're going. Um, and I think, you know, 
I guess someone who, you know, I'm the middle of the road kind of guy. So someone has the middle of the road way of looking at the world. And, uh, and I think that, uh, the people I'll support will have that, that position, um, committed to community. And, uh, and I think Rannon's that kind of a person. She's very bright, uh, you know, just, a you know, she's a former leader of the Alberta party. So how could she not be bright? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to seeing your, uh, endorsements in, in the upcoming election. Uh, Stephen, one of the things that we like to ask our guests about before uh, we wrap up is public art. And we already asked you a little bit about that. But mm-hmm. uh, specifically, we like to ask people about the Talus Dome. And uh, I know uh, there's one artist with whom you've got some pretty colorful history, Ryan McCourt. Uh, you can check the show notes if you don't know the story there. He called the Talus Dome an embarrassment to our citizens, a symbol of the Edmonton Arts Council's continued bungling of their portfolio and an unforgivable waste of funds. Uh, that's what he called it. We want to know what you think. What do you think about the Talus Dome? You know, it wasn't my job to make decisions about what art should be and what art shouldn't be. I'm not a connoisseur. I didn't go to, I don't have an art history degree. I don't, I don't paint. I can barely spell. Um, so I, I don't, I think it's, uh, you know, a bit overzealous for someone like myself to comment on the quality of art. I like a variety of pieces of art. I like things that are different. Um, we shouldn't close our, our mind to the things that are different. And uh, I think that is, a, that is a different piece of art. Um, so, you know, I don't mind it. Um, you know, I, I, so I, I just think that uh, to judge other people's art, you know, what can, what can you do in its place and, uh, and why, why would you change it? You know, I just think that it's, you know, art is, art is something that should be creative, should be dynamic. And sometimes you like it, sometimes you don't. That's okay. Well, fair enough. See, and now, but you, you t- very tastefully didn't answer the question. Art should be all these things, but do you like it? You, I don't, mind, the person. <laughs> I don't mind it at all. No, I don't mind it at all. Well, uh, let's wrap up with what are you looking forward to most? You've got uh, both your shots, which is great, spending time with the grandkids. But as we return to normal life in Edmonton, is it getting back into Roger's place? Like, what is the thing you missed most about normal Edmonton? Going out to dinner with my wife and friends and getting together and uh, enjoying life. And uh, that's what I miss most, mostly going to dinner with my friends and traveling. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm hoping will happen. Uh, my wife and I have some trips booked for the fall and I hope we're able to go. And uh, and uh, I guess spending time with my family. And, uh, you know, this is, these are difficult times because of the isolation everybody feels. But, you know, hopefully tomorrow or the not too far distant future, we'll be able to look out and, and not look behind us to this, but realize that we can enjoy life a bit more. And uh, and so that's what I'm looking forward to, visiting friends, golfing again. I can't golf because I can only golf by myself. It's not much <laughs> fun, you know? Yeah. Playing tennis. I love to play tennis. Can't even play tennis. Oh, there you go, Troy. You guys will have to do a match. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've, I've constantly raved on this podcast about um, – pandemic's effect on tennis because i still hold that tennis should have not been affected by the shutdown i at all. absolutely agree with you 100 percent. i don't understand why you know i give you an example i'm a member of the glenora and um you can go in and there's you can have a a lesson with a coach or a, a you know a teacher um inside but i can't play tennis with my friend inside so you can have four kids on two, on the courts you know two on each side Mm-hmm. I can't play tennis with my friend. I don't know how tennis is, is, is this dangerous game. What do you, the ball is going to give you COVID. 
You know, you know what you should do? Uh, I think I have a way to solve this problem. What if you ran for leadership of the Alberta party and became premier? <laughs> no, 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 no. I want to keep my wife. So that's all the questions we have, but we'd okay. like to give our guests a section to, you know, plug what they're doing next, share a message with Edmontonians. If you have anything else to say to our listeners that you think you'd like them to hear, here's some space to do that. Well, just uh, get out and vote. Um, enjoy enjoy the summer. Um, be careful. And, uh, and hopefully uh, three or four months from now, we'll be able to be out enjoying the Alberta summer and uh, tennis. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much for joining us, Stephen. It was a pleasure having you and good luck on whatever you decide to do next. And enjoy those grandkids. Thank you very much. It's, it's a real joy. And I thank you guys for doing what you do. Uh, you know, these podcasts are, are really important. Uh, I think getting information out uh, in, in this, the new avenue is, is so important. And, and you guys have done a great job with it. So congratulations to you too. Well, thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Writing Is Your Nature, a live online masterclass for nature, environment, and outdoor writers created by Pandemic University and the Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative. Running May 11th to 25th, so it's already underway, Writing Is Your Nature was designed to sharpen your nonfiction writing through the lens of ecology and conservation. It's free and open to the public to learn from guest professors like Chris Turner, a best-selling author and leading voice on the climate crisis, and Sarah Gilman, an MIT Night Science Journalism Fellow, who will break down how to pitch and get paid to write science and nature stories. You can register for the Masterclass Series at PandemicUniversity.com. Pandemic University is an Alberta-made virtual writing school on a mission to dull the impact of COVID-19 for professional and emerging writers alike. You can learn more and register at PandemicUniversity.com. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Stephen. And we're... Speaking municipally. municipally. And you get in on the speaking municipally. So we all say it together. I gotta say speaking municipally too. Yeah, you gotta yeah, say we it all too. say it together. Oh, yeah. darn. Sorry, I didn't realize that to be there because it was your guys' show. Well, you know, we, we got, like to include guests. our guests. Yeah. yeah. All right. And just, I'll do the last part. And we're speaking, speaking municipally. municipally. <laughs> <laughs> you give me a hint, you're gonna do it. You know, you just can't pop up your speaking municipally. <laughs> okay, one more time. All okay. right. Count it down, Troy. Okay. Three, two, one. And we, we're <laughs> I say, and we're, and then we all say, speaking municipally. Okay, all right, all right. Three, two, one, and we're speaking, speaking municipally. municipally. Excellent. Nailed it. Perfect.